The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I want to point out uh, right at the top of the show that we would love to have you join the conversation and call in if you'd like to speak directly with our guests, and you can do so by dialing 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. I also want to give a, a special thank you to Holy Redeemer Health System and and Trust Financial, who are our two core sponsors of the show. Uh, and be sure to visit our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. And you can keep up with the podcast for any of the programming that you uh, might not be picking up on Mondays. Uh, we have a really wonderful guest this afternoon. I'm thrilled uh, to have uh, Michelle Zatlin, co-founder and head of user experience for Cloudflare which is a web performance and security company uh, based in California. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I really, you know, am excited to to speak with you this afternoon for a couple of reasons, and one of them is I believe we have a mutual friend in Ingrid Vandervelt who speaks very highly of you and and the work that you're doing, um, and just the um, you know the success that you've had. I have lots and lots of questions always about technology, so I'm always um, you know thrilled to have an opportunity to speak directly with someone like you. Great. Well, Ingrid is uh, terrific. She is. I feel like an endless ball of energy, and she's done so many amazing <laughs> things. So um, she is. She's always, every time I see her, she's I. Um, I feel like she has, always has lots of fun stories. She does. She does, and she fires up women. I, I I just really think she's doing that in a big way. Um, but listen, I want to find out uh, for our listeners a little bit more about you and and your background and where you came from. Um, I understand you were born in Saskatchewan, Canada, uh, which I've never been to, and um, you did a little bit of uh, working with with your dad in his law firm. Can you talk for just a couple of minutes about your background and growing up years? Sure, of course. Um, so you're right. I grew up in uh, in in Canada, in a province called Saskatchewan, which is just north of North Dakota, Montana. So it's prairie land, farmland. And um, you know, I had two sisters, my parents, and there was just one rule in my household that I could do anything after high school, but I couldn't stay in Saskatchewan. Um, they made <laughs> me go to uh, university or college outside of the province. Um, and so I found my way to um, McGill, which is a university in Montreal, and um, you know, really kind of opened my eyes to all the different options there were in the world. Um, and I studied science. Um, and so I am a scientist by training. I thought I was going to go to med school um, and become a doctor, and I really loved the idea of helping people. Mm-hmm. And um, somewhere along the way, I realized that there are lots of ways to help people. Medicine is definitely one, and that's an amazing profession. Um, and ultimately, I ended up falling in love with technology because 
Um, tech also helps people, and you can really have a global reach from your local um, position, loca location. And so when I graduated from McGill, I found myself in Toronto working um, and had done a bunch of different operating roles, both big companies and small companies, and I really got to try a lot of different things. And then I found, I ended up going to grad school here in the United States in 2007. Um, I went to Harvard Business School, and that's how I found myself in the United States. And when I graduated from business school, um, my classmate and I packed our things in a U-Haul and drove from Boston to California, well, he did with his mother, um, across the country. And we came out to California to try and build this idea we had been working on at school called Cloudflare. And it started as a school project and something that we just were really passionate about. And next thing I knew, knew we were living in San Francisco trying to make it um, get this business stood up, and now six years later, um, you know it's a real company with over 250 people. We have over four million customers around the wor world, so it's been it's been quite the journey. Yeah, you know, I, I want to find find out a little bit more about that idea, how it started. Um, I, I read that it, you know, it really started simply with an idea on the back of a napkin. Um, but before you tell us that story, I one of the things I really like about your story and your background is your awareness that um, not just women, but men and women can take a lot of different twists and turns before um, really kind of finding what it is that they were either meant to do or or passionate about. And um, I, I wrote down a quote that you said, I now realize that some of the happiest people I know didn't necessarily have it figured out right away. Tell me, tell me what you meant by that statement. Definitely. I mean, so I remember when I graduated from college, there was all, I was surrounded by all these people who knew exactly what they wanted to do um, with their careers and, or even after business school, and it's kind of they had set themselves up to go down this very clear path. Um, and that's great. If you fall into that camp, that's amazing. Um, and whether it's, you know, I want to become, um, whether they were, you know, I, I really want to go build medical devices or, you know, they, some, some people really want to become accountants and really they are passionate about that or, or dentists or lawyers or doctors or whatever it is. They had very clear professional goals. And um, I, I mean, when I was younger, I was really envious of that because I did not have that. I, I, I was interested in a lot of different things. I liked a lot of different things. There were some things I didn't like. Um, and, and I took a long time to kind of, try different things to say, where, what do I actually want to do with my life? What do I want to be when I grow up, I guess, is, is it took me a long time. And, um, you know, sometimes hindsight is twenty twenty. And, and as I look back, you know, I, I graduated business school six years ago. I mean, I graduated undergrad more like 15 years ago. And um, some of the happiest people I know are the ones who kind of didn't have it all figured out. And some of the people who did have it figured out have been super successful and amazing, but what I like to say is if you're in that camp of you're not sure where you fit, you're not sure what you want to do, trying different things um, can be a huge asset because at the end of the day, life is a collection of experiences, and if you can collect a lot of experiences, you get different perspective, you meet different people, and eventually you really get a sense of, oh my God, I love this, and I like this less, and you can eventually find that place, either company or role or city or team where you feel like, okay, I'm really in the right place, and you feel happy with your decision. And so that's what, that's what I mean by a winding career path can be an asset, not necessarily a liability for the right, if, with the right perspective. 
Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's a great lesson for young people. You know, these I would say these poor college kids are always stressing out about, you know, being in college and not knowing exactly what it is they want to do. And I love for them to be reminded by people like you um, that have, you know, done a lot of different things. And as you said, that really um, lends itself to more experiences and and often to success as opposed to following a straight line. Exactly, and and so lots of different models, and so I, I couldn't agree more. If you're if you're a listener and you're still in college and you're, and you're not one of those people who've, who've decided what you're going to do in your life, that's okay. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're a curious person, um, you know, and you can kind of deal with challenges because there will definitely be challenges with a career a, a curvy, windy path. Um, and you can adapt to changing circumstances, those are really great skills mm-hmm. that set you up for whatever you decide to do professionally in life. Exactly. Do you, Michelle, do you feel that you, you were an athlete uh, when you were younger? You played basketball, I understand. Do you, do you feel that, that uh, being an athlete was something that uh, kind of kept you on a good track and, and focused and, and gave you some of the skills you have today? Yes, yes. So I was definitely an athlete growing up. Um, you know, I played I played a lot of different sports, including soccer and, and tennis, and, and basketball was the one that I played pretty competitively come high school. Um, you know, prior to high school, I played almost every sport. Um, but in high school, I really um, focused a lot on basketball. And it was great. I mean, for me, I loved being part of a team. Um, and, you know, anytime you're on a sports team, you have there's a commitment, there's a dedication, you, to both yourself, to your coach, to your team, um, and and you know you have to figure out how to balance you know schoolwork, friends, as well as these extracurricular activities. And um, you know for me, I loved be, I loved being as part of that team environment where you know we'd have practice during the week, and on the weekends we'd have these tournaments or games. And you know it really set the tone for me of how you know. It's great that as an individual you can achieve certain things, but really when you're part of a team, and again, I got this, I got this as part of my basketball experience, but it could be, you could use this in lots, you could, I was a musician, I played in the band, same sort of feeling, where when you really start to work together as a team, and it usually happens kind of three quarters away through the season towards the last quarter of the season, and the team really starts to, um, to have good teamwork and trust each other, it's, it's just amazing how far you come from the you know day one of practice to the last day of the season, how much more well you function as a team. And I think being part of that sort of environment really set me up for, again, what I'm doing today, of where there's no way you can build a company without being surrounded by amazing teammates. And in this case, it's a professional environment. But everyone has to play their role for the company to succeed. And that really takes me back to my days when I was um, a bas- you know, a, 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 back in high school, where same sort of thing, where when you're part of a team, everyone plays a role, but when the team really starts to gel, there's no better feeling in the world. And isn't it, it's great to, to be able to celebrate with, with a team, right, and a group of people as opposed to kind of celebrating something, a success all by yourself. That's true. And also when, the failures, because, again, there, you know, we've all been part of teams where, where things don't work out. You have a big loss or something doesn't go um, as you as planned, or you know these people you become very close with, um, they have personal hardships that happen. And so you, it's both the successes and the losses, mm-hmm. and just having other people um, 
there by your side for, in both the good times and the bad times right. is uh, very powerful. Yeah, it, it's a great support system. Are you are you excited for March Madness? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's such a fun tournament. I love that tournament. I'm also really excited for the Olympics in six months, all of the qualifications that are going on um, uh, on the weekends and whatnot. I love I love watching all the recaps of that. That's That's very fun. I mean, I have a lot of respect for these athletes who pay, play at such a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's definitely um, good entertainment. It is. It is. Um, listen, you're, you know, you were one of those lucky ones, I would say, that really has strength on both sides of the brain, <laughs> right? So you, um, as you mentioned, you you studied science. Um, you also at some at one time was uh, were interested in art, and um, I'm wondering what your degree in chemistry has allowed you to do as a technology expert, if there was, you know, what that crossover might be. Definitely. Well, you know, I think that as a scientist, and again, I did chemistry, um, you know, some of the skills that have been great transferable skills are well, first, this, this sense of curiosity. I mean, if you go into science, when I, why I love science and why I loved chemistry is I felt like chemistry can answer a lot of questions in the world of why things work out the way they do, and I was always really fascinated by that. Um, and so and so the sense of curiosity of wanting to understand why or how things work um, really worked well in the world of technology because the, the technology as an industry moves very quickly, and you can just see that by companies that were big, you know, 10 years ago have been replaced by new companies that are big today. And so today everyone talks about Amazon and Apple and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. But 10 years ago, the the set was different. It was Microsofts and Yahoo's. And, and so the technology industry changes very quickly. And so the sense of curiosity of you have to constantly wanting to be learned more has been very helpful. That's a, that's a very... That's a skill that I took from my science days here. And then just, um, you know, the other thing as a scientist when I was training, it's you have very good, you have to practice your analytic skills all the time. So mm-hmm. in chemistry, there's a lot of lab work. Um, you know, you're running these experiments. You'd have a lot of data output. And you have to be able to interpret that data and synthesize it and find insights or, or um, make decisions based on it. And that skill, even though I'm not reading scientific data, is something that I use all the time, where it's, um, you know, whether it's, in our case, how many threats we've stopped or some performance metrics, just being able to take data, feel comfortable with it, find the insights and, and, and form an opinion about it. That skill is one that I'm very grateful to have learned so early in my, in my life. Yeah, I bet. Um, I want to, I would love to hear the story about how, or what precipitated the idea, you know, that day that you sat down and I, I, I'm not sure whether it was by yourself or with, um, with a friend and you had this idea and you kind of sketched it out on the back of a cocktail napkin. How did that come about? Yeah, how did that come about? So, um, in the same vein of kind of, I wasn't, I went to business school and, um, I, I, I had what I knew coming out of business school is I really wanted to be part of a team, um, part of a company that was growing, going to help change the world, and I wanted to be part of a team that was winning and was going to growth and change the world, and, and that was kind of my criteria. And and doing something that I personally was very proud of, and um, didn't have to be my idea. It could have been another company, but that that was kind of my criteria. 
And it was January of 2009. And so if you think back to January 2009, the economy was not was 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 not very good. Uh, it was after the whole financial crisis. And a group of us had come on a trip to the east uh, to the west coast. We were in in Silicon Valley for a week, and it was 50 students from Harvard Business School that were out here with professors. And this whole week, we got to visit all these entrepreneurs, these investors, and hear all these stories about how they built their companies. And to me, I was like a kid in the candy store. I loved hearing <laughs> all the stories. I was so inspired. And again, we heard both good stories and bad stories. But it was just, to me, I just felt it, it was so empowering to me hearing just from these people. And it was halfway through the week. And, and you know, at the beginning of the week, I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Wow, I can't believe I have access to all these people. And by the middle to the end, I, my my... I guess my confidence started to build and I was like, wow, like I could do this. Like meaning that these are just people just like me and they came out here and took a chance on an idea of something they were really passionate about and they came here and overcame all these obstacles to make it happen. I could do that too. Um, and so it was with a, a classmate who was on the trip with me. Um, he had done something before school that tracked web spammers online and I called Project Honeypot, and I really knew nothing about web security or web spammers, but he had told me about this open open source project a couple times, and we started to talk about it during the week, and he had told me how, you know, 80,000 websites signed up for this project to help track web spammers online, and I kept saying, why do people sign up? And he kept saying, well, you know, we work with law enforcement agencies to take down the web spammers and to get them offline. I was like, doesn't that take a long time? He's like, yeah, it takes years. I was like, I just don't understand how anyone signs up for this. How do they find you? Do you spend a lot of money on marketing? He's like, no, we have no marketing budget. And so, you know, we kind of went back and forth in this conversation. Eventually, he, he got a little frustrated at me because I kept asking so many questions, back to being curious. And he said, <laughs> you know, Michelle, one day they want us to use the threat data to actually stop this bad guys before it happens. And I said, huh, that sounds interesting. And literally, we sat down with a napkin. It was in a hotel bar, and we sketched out how it could potentially work. And we pitched the idea to one of the advisors who was on the trip with us, said, will you be our advisor this semester? And so instead of taking a class my second, my last year of business school, basically, I got to work on a business idea. And the deliverable to get credit for my class was a business plan. And it was this idea on the napkin which turned into Cloudflare, and it really was this conversation on this trip out here in the valley where it was, you know, could we could we use all the learnings that Matthew and Lee, who are my two co-founders, had from running this open source project for six years of how if you're a regular blogger or small business owner or website, the idea of having to deal with um, bots or spammers or web threats is, or cyber threats is is very hard. Could we create a service that actually protects those businesses as well as large businesses from these attacks online and kind of help make the internet work like it should? And again, when I started, I knew very little bit about the problem. And now, six years later, I know a lot more. Um, and and that's really how it started. And now this idea has turned into a real company. Okay, so I have two questions for you. One, do you still have that napkin? <laughs> uh, we. We've been looking for it. Matthew and I have moved many times. 
and and it's it's kind of like deja vu. Like I can see it in my head, and I'm sure it will turn up sometime. Um, I have our original business plan, the business plan that we submitted from. Um, after that end of the first semester, mm-hmm. I just moved recently and I found it. And so I have a copy um, because I've been asked for the business plan many times. So I recently found that. Well, that's good. It's just a nice memento. But I can't understand how there was enough room on a cocktail napkin to write down a diagram and, and you know, all the uh, the ins and outs of this company. But I guess it was just, you know, the the basics it was the basics of how how I would describe it is how how mechanically again because you have to if you put yourself in my shoes I was not and again this is for your listeners out there you know my co-founder my business partner Matthew was very technical and he knew a lot about the problem mm-hmm. I mean he because he had been running this this project called Project Hot, so he knew a lot um, and I asked questions. Some that were good, some that were dumb. Um, There's no dumb question. There's no dumb right, question, exactly. Michelle, right? Still, like that, that were very, I would call it, um, uh, am, you know, you know, I was an amateur on the topic. And so the, 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 the cocktail napkin was a representation of how this could work, you know, um, from a, you know, technology perspective, how could we build something that actually would make this work? And it was kind of how we communicated back and forth and said, well, what about this? What about that? And so that's that's what it was. It, and again, since then, the business has evolved a lot and we've been much more robust and I have much more detailed. Right, right. And we'll continue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But at the time, it was just, you know, someone who knew a lot about something, someone who was very curious and asked questions. And we kind of came together with different skill sets to say, hey, I think that together we could maybe see where this takes us. Yeah. Well, you know, gosh, it's such an important, um, it's it's, in, it's very important work. And I was wondering if you believe that, you know, Internet security is ever going to reach a point where it's uh, competent enough, I guess, to, to fully secure data, both for personal reasons and, you know, in the corporate world. Definitely. I mean, so I'm an optimist, so I, I think the world is getting better, um, and I think there are some structural things that are changing in the industry that are helping with that. Having said that, it's, it's um, you know, cybersecurity is, or web security, is, it's, it's not a topic that's going away, and, and there's, it's such a broad topic. There's so many different pieces of, about it. Exactly. But there's a couple of things that have changed that should give, again, both listeners, um, or people who are thinking about getting into the industry or someone who runs a business who has to think about this um, a little bit, or hopefully they, get, they, they have some comfort versus um, fear. And so the first is that, you know, historically, I think the security industry really did itself a disservice where it was a very niche industry and only a few, very few people got into it and they're very usually very technical and they all spoke to each other. Um, and what I think, what I mean by disservice is, they didn't take the time to explain why the rest of the world should care um, or why business owners need to care and what it means to them. And I, I feel like that's really starting to change. Mm. And you can even see in the media how some of these security topics are starting to become actually talked about. And so, um, you know, back in the spring of 2014, there was this big vulnerability that was called Heartbleed. Mm. And, yes. and it was something that, you know, um, a lot of mainstream mainstream media covered, 
And my mom was sending me a text saying, should I be worried about heart bleed? Now, she had no idea what it meant, but at least the fact that she, like, <laughs> asked me about it was yeah. I felt progress. Right. Um, yes. You know, again, the fact that people might be talking about it at their coffee, at their dinner tables, where people are just starting to get more acquainted with the subject, I think is, again, they don't need to know all the solutions. They don't have to, have to come up with the solutions. But just that we're making it a, a topic that's more accessible mm-hmm. is important. Do you think, um, do you think entrepreneurs the, are more um, fo- focused or interested in it than corporations, or do you see them equally concerned? Well, now I think if you're a corporation, it's typically security is definitely has turned into a board boardroom level topic of conversation. Yes. Um, just because there have been so many high level, so many breaches from the big corporations that every boardroom in America and internationally have had a conversation of how well are we protected and if something happens, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's important and that's different than 10 years ago. And so, again, we have a lot of work to do, so I'm not, I'm not trying to say, oh, it's all solved, but these, these shifts and people actually want to talk about it um, are important. And again, I think that that helps solve the problem long term. Um, the other thing is, is historically a lot of the, um, um, in a really simplistic way, a lot of um, the, 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 the bad guys, if, if you if the bad actors online, they had more resources than the good guys because the good guys didn't work together. And so what, what I mean by that is somebody like a Microsoft would be attacked all the time and they would come up with all these different solutions, but they wouldn't share that knowledge with their peers. And by peers, I mean with you know Google or my, Yahoo or Facebook or any of the small businesses. And so what that meant is that the bad guys were always kind of had more resources than the good guys. And what you're seeing is that's starting to change. So even with our company, we crowdsource all the good guys together. And so basically it's like a neighborhood watch. We have 4 million websites who band together, and it's if one site gets attacked, that information gets shared across the other 3.99999 million websites so that none of those other people have that same vulnerability, and the network keeps getting smarter and smarter. And so all of a sudden you can pool resources where um, the again overly simplistic, but the the good guys have more resources than the bad guys, and that starts to shift the equation a lot. And I think that's something that's very new in the industry, and it's only because of computing power and some of these other companies that make um, starting businesses online much easier that you can that you have this moment in time where a business like this exists. Does that make sense? It does. It does, and it. it I- it's interesting because would you say that the companies weren't sharing these, you know, um, these this vulnerability because they didn't want to be seen amongst their peers in the same industries as being a vul- you know, as being vulnerable or having been attacked? Again, and, and some of some of it was that, some of it was you know, um, making sure they didn't share sensitive information. I mean, there was lots of different reasons. Okay, um, and again, it was. It was this idea that 10 years ago, people were not talking a lot about security vulnerabilities. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that it kind of comes back to my first point about how people are much more, it's been, it's being talked about more, and the more transparency, the better. And again, it's not the only solution to the problem, but it definitely helps long term to, which, which is one of the reasons why I am optimistic for the future, especially if you're a... A, a business owner, a small business owner, um, where where your all of a sudden your options 
are much stronger today than you had even three years ago. I mean, there are good options today that will really protect you um, and, and keep you fairly safe online for a very reasonable price. Well, that's good because that, I mean, that's, that's a big part of the issue as well, you know, the cost of taking all these uh, measures to keep everything exactly. safe. Exactly. And again, I think that there's still a lot of work to be done where if you're a large corporation or you're a very big target or national governments who have to secure, who, who have a much, where that, that conversation is much different. But I think, again, for the average business owner, the world of security has gotten a lot better for you than, and much more simplified and much more easy to understand than five years ago. Yeah, that's and I good. Think that's that's progress, exactly. That is, that is. Um, you know, Michelle, we, we talk a lot in here about women in technology because historically it's not been, um, you know, the case where where there's been large numbers of women in, in technology and there's lots of programs um, and initiatives right now trying to get specifically young girls interested and give them an awareness, um, a, a better awareness of what it's all about. It really does take a lot of creativity, which is something I think they don't often know. And my guess is that's um, one of the things that you enjoyed and kind of kept you interested in it as well. Would you say that the, you know, um, the women that you see working in technology now are feeling better about the numbers? Well, it's so this subject is such a tricky one because the numbers – aren't very good, um, and, that, and, that, and that's depressing to me because uh, when you look at all the numbers, whether it's the number of women studying a STEM program um, or coming out of computer science or the number of women in, in tech, working in technology, the number of women starting companies in technology, the numbers are all too low. Um, and and so, so that's a fact. There are definitely more men than women. Mm-hmm. Um, having, and so that's, that's the bad side. The good side is um, sometimes numbers get skewed. So the, the flip side is there are lots of amazing women in technology doing some really interesting things, and a lot of them work at Cloudflare. A lot of them are starting companies. They work at other companies. And I mean, and there are, you know, tens of thousands of women doing amazing things in the industry. And, you know, I know some sub, I, you know, I get to meet different women all the time, and I'm always blown away by you know, their contributions, and, and I, I love that they're peers of mine. Um, and so when I think about, you know, if I was back in college or if I'm at high school, um, technology, if you're interested in technology or you think you might be, it is a great industry to go into. Um, it's growing. There's so many exciting problems you get to work on. It's intellectually demanding, stimulating, because it's constantly changing. And you really can work on problems that touch the world in very profound ways. And again, um, in my case, we're helping make the internet a better place, which, which is pretty amazing. And everyone here at Cuffler is really passionate about that. In other places, it's, you know, you're building um, smartphones that change the way people communicate around the world or change, building the next car or whatever it is. There's so many different facets of technology. And so it's such a, I feel like for people who are curious or, or intellectually curious, it's a, it's a great place to build out your career because it's not going away, and it's only going to get um, richer and richer um, over the next couple decades. And I think that if you're early in your career or haven't started your career yet, you want to go somewhere where it's growing, absolutely. not shrinking. Yes. And technology is absolutely something that's growing. And so in that case, it's like a great place to go. It's also, you know, while there are more men than women, 
and you know, again, the industry is not without flaws, it's still such a meritocracy in the sense of, you know, um, I mean, I just kind of look at Matthew and I, and Lee, we, we came to the Valley, no one knew us, and we were able to start this company because it was a good idea and we were able to like make it all happen. And it's, it, and that's really powerful. There are very few places in the world where that's the case, where often it's, it's based on who you know or, or generational, um, generational um, connections passing on. It, again, it's not without flaws, but it's still, technology is still, for an industry, is quite a meritocracy where really if you have a great idea and you're willing to work hard, you tilt the risk-reward ratio in your favor a lot. Yeah. And, and I again, as somebody who grew up on the you know near a farm in the middle of nowhere where technology was not a major industry, I feel like I'm a perfect example of what's possible, um, again, with a lot of luck and hard work that yeah. of what's ha- possible. And, and I think that's a kudos to the way the industry is, is structured. Yeah. And so this- in that case, I think it's a great industry for – for young, you know, people earlier in their careers, women or men, to pursue. It is. It is. Listen, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this topic and and your views on diversity. We'll be right sure, back. Perfect. Sounds great. All right. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. 
That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, we're having a wonderful conversation this afternoon with Michelle Zatlin, and Michelle is the co-founder and head of user experience for Cloudflare, uh, which is a web performance and security company based in uh, California. Are you calling from San Francisco? Is that right, Michelle? I am, yes, right in the heart of San Francisco. That's the place to be, <laughs> right, for, for the work you're doing. Yes, for the work that I'm doing, it is a great place to. It, it is a great place to be. It's amazing how many um, companies you've heard of or, or or will hear of in the coming years are are you know within a couple blocks radius from here, and you just run into these different people on the street. And there's real power in having density around um, all the in the industry. It's it's very powerful. And and I would imagine really high energy with with all of those minds running around. You know. Um, Working on the next best thing, and 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 you know, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the uh, the pace of of technology is so fast. Um, it's one of the things I, you know, personally I struggle with it a little because I think as soon as I have mastered something, I'm afraid it's going to change, and I'm going to have to um, learn something new. Tell me what your take is on that. That just the you know the speed with which technology is creating things. Um, and the ability to kind of not only keep up with it, but make decisions whether or not you need to move along with it at that pace or, or kind of, uh, continue to use things that are working for you as a business. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. And you know, you know what, Susan, I struggle with it too. And I think everyone in the tech industry struggles with it and everyone outside the tech industry struggles with it. So you're, you're not alone. Um, you know, the way that I, think about um, that is that, um, and, and there's both kind of me as an individual and how I inter- use technology in my everyday life, and there's also, as a business owner, what we choose to and not adopt internally within the company to help us grow. And, you know, there's no right answer, but one kind of how I personally think about it that may be helpful to you and others is, you know, there's some things where there's some new changes, and it could be, um, you know, um, whether it's a new device or a new messaging platform or new social media or, or whatever it is, um, you can either be a leader in adopting it, so like one of the first, like an early adopter, mm-hmm. or you can say, hey, I'm going to wait for a few versions to come out and see whether you know my friends start to adopt it or whether I really think it has lasting power before I adopt it. And so even like me personally, there are some things where I'm very early on trying them because you know maybe they – it's a pain point that I feel like I don't have solved yet or something within the business where I feel like it's a pain point that no, none of our other technology vendors are solving. And I, it's such a pain point that I want to see whether this works. And otherwise, you know, I wait a couple, you know, you don't have to be the first, you can wait a couple months or wait a couple um, variations and then, and then start to adopt it and you still get all the great benefits. And so you don't always have to be first to get the benefits of technology, I guess um, is what I'm saying. But what I think, you know, it's important for, on the flip side is, people shouldn't be scared of things either. They should be willing to say, hey, I'm going to try this out. And, and it's okay saying, I don't get it. This didn't work for me. And then, well, maybe I'll try it, give it a chance again and see whether I can get it working. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I couldn't live without this. And so I think it's, it's, it's you don't always have to be first, but then yeah. you also don't want to be scared to try new things either. Yeah, it's a, that's a great point. You know, it's kind of, um, 
a combination of, you know, trying it if it's something you're in need of. And if you're not, you know, you don't have that immediate need, you know, continue using what's working for you and wait to see what happens down the road. I like that take. Um, I, Michelle, I really want to talk a little bit more about, or I should say, get your views and your feedback on this whole topic of diversity and women in the workplace. Um, you and I both know there's there's a lot going on. First of all, I th- just think it's an incredibly exciting time for women in general because I think we're seeing women like you um, just kind of forging their own path and going out and doing what it is they want to do, making a difference where they where they feel they want to, without worrying so much about the barriers that are out there. And and I love seeing that. Um, you made a statement about the power of diversity. Um, and how it really it is powerful, uh, no matter what work you're doing. Tell me what you you know why you said that and, and how you feel it makes a difference, um, rather than having you know a room full of all the like-minded people. Yeah, I feel I feel strongly about this, and you know, thankfully the research all backs up <laughs> the way I feel is. Um, you know, when we started Cloudflare, there were three of us, um, Matthew, who's our CEO, myself, and a third co-founder named Lee. And the three of us, if you knew the three of us, we're all very different people. Um, and again, there are a couple people who knew all three of us, and we were all very different people. Um, and um, think about it as kind of a Venn diagram, back to my science, science training, where we had we each represented a circle, and we only had a little bit of overlap between each other's skill sets, um, and and that was you know the 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 overlap there was a little bit of overlap, and it helped us have a shared vision, and we all trusted each other, but we covered a lot of surface area, and early on that made it hard because you know the way Lee looked at something, he was an engineer by training, he was an architect, he was very technical, the things that he cared about were very different than the things that you know I brought to the table that were very different than what Matthew brought to the table. And sometimes it was uncomfortable trying to come to um, a decision or resolution because we, we communicated in such different ways because we just had such different skill sets. Uh, but I think it's because we started from such a place of um, diversity. And diversity means lots of different things. It can mean gender, it can mean skill sets, it can mean where you're from, background, mm-hmm. um, Lots of different meanings of that, and we had a lot of diversity covered in lots of different ways. Um, it gave us a much stronger foundation to build from, and and I see this even today in my company, and I see this, you know, when I, I re- do a lot of reading and I follow a lot of the research, where it's teams that are small that have diverse points of view often have better results than when you have a bunch of the same similar type background people on the same team. And really, if you have trust between each other, that's the most important thing. You have to trust each other. Somebody who grew up in a different, you know, let's say they grew up internationally and they say, hey, Cloudflare, that word doesn't work. You know, in in my home language, that's, that's an insult. We shouldn't name the company that. And, you know, someone where they grew up in the U.S. would never even think about these sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of people coming from different backgrounds really, um, if you can – find trust between each other, you often end up in a much stronger place. And I've seen that at Cloudflare, and I even, again, all the research shows um, that that's typically the case. And so we're big believers in diversity here. And even today when we hire, we try and make sure that we don't hire a lot of the same 
type of person. You want to be uncomfortable. You want somebody who has a different skill set that you that complements your team to get the best uh, performance on the team. Well, and also I think one of the reasons it's so important today is because uh, because of Internet, we are global in, in a lot of ways in the work we're doing. So we can't just consider the people in our own communities uh, when it comes to our, our companies and business because it is reaching, um, you know, globally. And so it's important to understand all these different cultures and, and how things affect everyone. Definitely. I, absolutely. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Tell me, uh, Michelle, one, what is one of your uh, mantras or what is it you kind of use every day to motivate your team, the people that are working around you? Well, so our mission at Cosplay is to really help make the Internet a better place. And when I told people that six years ago when we were starting, um, when it was really an idea, they kind of laughed at me. Um, and 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 they thought you're 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 a dreamer. Um, <laughs> and now we, we've really we have formulated web properties that use Cloudflare. We really do help um, make the internet a better place um, with adopting modern web technologies and all these different sorts of things. And so for our team, something that's really important when we hire people is that we have this mission to help make the internet a better place. We just play one role in that. And um, again, I work with 250 incredibly smart, passionate people who are really passionate about that mission of helping make the internet a better place. And they all come to work here to help towards that. And what's what's interesting, and again, I think this is interesting for the listeners, is that there are kind of two types of, of people who work here. There's one where they come in loving that mission. So before they even inter- interview, they are already in love with that mission because they're either a user or they or they really understand the internet and they see all the in- inefficiencies and they want to be part of the solution. And there are absolutely people who fit into that category here. But there's also the second category of people who who on day one that's not why they came that's not why they chose to interview Cloudflare, but they fall in love with the mission over time, and and it becomes wow I'm really passionate about this and I really believe in it. And so essentially everyone on the team eventually comes to work again with this broader mission of making the Internet a better place. But how people get there are slightly different, and I always think that's very interesting in that, and that both are okay, um, but that we have to have this shared vision. And so that's, that's the mantra that brings everybody here um, raring to go, fired up every day to do their best work. So it must be, you know, a really exciting environment to work on because the mission itself is motivating the people. They feel that they're doing something um, of value and contributing. Definitely. And, you know, when you work in a high-growth company like Cloudflare, and, again, we're not the only company like this, but the, there is there are so many things to do. The list of things to do is much longer than the people here could ever do it. And so there's never a dull moment. There, You know, you constantly have a lot of balls in the air and you're – you know, we're as a company are always prioritizing which ones are the important things to focus on, and which ones that we have to save for for later. Um, and we're all heads down, working as hard as we can. And sometimes we pause and we pop up and we take a breath and we're like, "Wow, we didn't. You know, we actually made progress. Okay, celebrate now. Get back to work because there's so many things left to do. Right. And so the energy is very. Um, um, there's a very high energy. It's a very fast pace. And, and again, it's, you, we, you know, even, again, I've been doing this, you know, we were about five and a half years old, and we've, we've done so much those five and a half years, it's been, it's amazing, but there's so many things left to do, and we have so many exciting, 
initiatives that are just over the horizon that we we all want to to deliver on so that Cloudflare can reach its full potential of its mission. And I think that's you know that's that's exciting. You have to be um, patient for long-term results, but also impatient for progress in the short term. And that's kind of a, a tension that if you work at any high-growth company, you have to live with. And it's 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 an interesting it's interesting to have to toggle between the two. Mm. Tell me on a personal note, Michelle. Tell me what you, what or how you get through those moments when you know things are not going right. Um, you mentioned being. I get the sense that you are, um, you know, a dreamer and and curious, you know, by nature. Sometimes uh, when you're working, you know, your colleagues or people that you work with, clients, look at people like that as not perhaps being as capable as the people that are more, you know, business focused, analytical. How do you deal with those moments where you're perhaps, you know, feeling a little bit of self-doubt or fear in in a in a moment? What is it that you say to yourself to get you over that? And those moments definitely happen, Susan. <laughs> um, you know, I think any any um, entrepreneur or any person part of a, again this idea of a very audacious goal. We have a very audacious goal here at Cloudflare. You, there yes. are amazing. Um, high points, wins, kind of back to the sports teams we were talking about. Yes. But there are lots of obstacles and roadblocks and challenges, um, and some of them are really, you know, um, not fun to have to deal with. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's a couple things. So, you know, first, um, just taking a breath and not making a flash decision mm-hmm. um, is really important. Um, and and uh, just taking a breath and and assessing the situation, and I think that's important for any situation, is always very powerful. And, you know, for often how I feel maybe 10 seconds after I hear about this, whether it's a piece of bad news or a problem or obstacle or challenge and how I might feel 24 hours later, dramatically different. And so I've really practiced being a little bit patient before making any rash decisions when possible. Um, and then for us, you know, again, I feel really lucky that I have teammates that I really trust and that we can go to to talk about, you know, with their appropriate people of what are we going to do here and have a, tr- a trusting environment where I feel like everyone's really has the best interest of the company at heart and we're going to come to the right um, resolution. Um, and so relying on getting input from those who really know the right people can be very helpful or just even to work things through. And then sometimes I just go home and I feel really lucky that I get to go home to a great family. I have a husband and I have a son where I just, you know, no matter what happens at work, good or bad, they still love me for who I am. And so that that puts life in perspective too. And so sometimes the perspective and then you come revisit the problem hours later and you feel a little bit more equipped to be able to deal with it. is helpful, but yeah, you as a business when you work in business, you have to make hard decisions all the time, and some mm-hmm. and 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 you have to overcome you know challenges and obstacles, and you know sometimes you feel like you're getting put, punched in the gut, <laughs> but you get past it, and often once you get past it, you emerge stronger as a team, and 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 that momentum helps for the next challenge that you face, and I think those are the those are kind of the important parts. Yeah, I think that's great advice because I think sometimes leaders aren't apt to say, hey, I'm struggling with something. 
you know, they don't either an ego is in the way or they just don't want to, um, you know, admit that that they're not on top of a situation. And I think it's so much better to, you know, to to have candor with your team. And when, you know, when you don't know the answer or you are struggling with something um, that you admit it, you know, and that's going to you know help you get through those obstacles quicker and better. Definitely. And again, I think this idea of like being transparent about it again, and yes. you know, I'm not saying you have to tweet it to the world or, or, <laughs> or post it publicly. It doesn't have to go on Facebook. Exactly. It's kind of being transparent to the right group of people um, is very powerful. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who, 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 who want to help, who, who will help and rally to help get through it because they believe in the company so much, or they believe in the mission so much, or, they care so much that um, you can really rally together as a team, and and as you said, that's that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, something else that you said, Michelle, that I read about uh, kind of resonated with me. You said there really needs to be more than one or two data points for women in tech. That's what's been missing from the conversation. Tell me what tell me what that statement meant to you. Well, it's, it's kind of back to this idea. If you look at all the data points, I mean, there are definitely more men than women, and, and the data is not very encouraging. But as someone who works in tech and who is here, and I feel like, you know, um, building a successful business, I don't want to scare – I don't want to scare the next generation of women away from the industry because I feel like the data doesn't reflect well in the industry. But as my experience going through it, it's, it's, it's not – it's the data is not really actually reflecting the experience that I'm having and all these other tens of thousands of women are having in technology. And so I think the data is important to look at. But, um, you know, I think shows like yours where you're showcasing these women doing such amazing things, and, and you do it from all sorts of industries. And I think that's, you know, that's incredible. When I was in high school, I thought you had to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a nurse, or an, like an accountant. I didn't even, like, no one told me technology was an industry of choice, and I didn't even know what that meant. So it took me years and years and years to figure that out. And again, I think because of the, the internet and these different sorts of things, women and, and even men early in their career can get exposure to it and be like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to see, you know, maybe, maybe that's something I want to do, and I think that's important. But sometimes the one or two data points, I just, I feel like they're very negative, and as someone who works in the industry, who also happens to be a woman, someone who's here every day, I, it doesn't feel as negative. And so that's what I mean. I just want to balance the story. I want it to be a more balanced, um, presented in a more balanced way. Yeah. With both its pros and its challenges. That's right. Do you, you know, do you attend leadership conferences and events like that? And, and if so, do you feel that, you know, the right messaging is is being put out there? You know, there's so many different things that are going on to, to support, to educate, and to bring awareness. And sometimes I feel, um, you know, we need to be doing more. I want to figure out what, what are more actionable things we can do to encourage women to, to pursue those leadership spots wherever they are, you know, as, as you said, across all industries. How can we do mm-hmm. that? Do you have any thoughts on, you know, what more can we do other than have the conversations? Well, um, so I definitely, yes, I attend, um, you know, I speak, I attend a lot, you know, um, we host a lot of students at our office. Um, so whether it's, 
Um, we've had high school students come through. We've had college students come through. We've had business school students come through. We've had law school. We try law school students come through because there's a lot of people who go to law school who decide they don't want to be a lawyer and they kind of want to ex explore other career paths. So we try and, and again, so we, try, we, we do a lot to try and, again, one small role in helping just expose um, the next generation of leaders to what's possible, and mm -hmm. that's how I really think about it. Um, at a more broad level, I mean, you're right, there are so many organizations working on this problem, and there's so many different pieces to the problem. Um, and, and, and the good news is there's a lot of really smart people who are passionate about it that are working on it, and mm -hmm. I'm confident that they'll make progress. Right. You know, some things that I think that people don't talk about quite enough that are really practical that um, seem seem like, you know, good things to start, where think about um, um, if you are a professional and you work kind of in, whether it's a technology industry or a not, something that just isn't, again, different than um, some of the, the career paths that our parents all thought, oh, you have to be a lawyer to be successful or a doctor to be successful. That's what my parents told me. Um, <laughs> uh, and you work in one of these other industries, like go go to the high school in your community and just kind of do a ask me anything or, you know, hey, this is what I do as a living or this is what it means. It could be anything from I'm a product manager to I host a talk, <laughs> I host a radio program and I got to talk to all these amazing people because, again, I think just giving exposure to the next generation of leaders of what's possible in their career is really, really powerful and just gets their, their creativity or their options thinking, the things that they didn't even necessarily think was possible. So something if we all if we all just went to the local high school to do that, I think we'd be in a much better place. Yeah. You know, we're, was, yeah, showing them showing them what's possible, literally showing them, right? Exactly. And it, it can be, you know, a thirty minute lunch and learn of this is what I do and ask me anything and this is my best part of my job. These are the job things that, you know, are hard and what you need to do to get be successful in the industry. And if they just had, you know, one of those a week all Every day, every week of high school, think about how many, how much exposure they would get. And, and again, people can say, "Oh my God, I want to be like this person or that person or or whatnot," and, and start to forge their own path. Right, right. And we really do, you know, it, the sooner the the better, right? We we don't want we we're doing a lot now for women um, later in life. Um, I'm a great example of it's never too late, you know, to to go and do what you've been dreaming about. But if we can reach, especially young girls. Uh, with these examples and the right messaging as early as possible, I think that's going to make a huge difference overall and in the long term. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think so too. And again, and, and plus all these other programs and support systems that wonderful people are putting into place, definitely yeah. powerful too. Definitely. Michelle, I thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Um, and I really appreciate your sharing your stories and your great advice. And uh, give us the website real quick for the listeners. For sure. Um, Susan, it was great. Thanks for having me. Um, our Cloudflare's website is www.cloudflare, so C-L-O-U-D-F-L-A-R-E.com. And so if you are a blogger or a small business owner that needs to make sure your site is fast and safe around the world, come there and we'll help um, get you set up. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Michelle. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thanks, Susan. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.